All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 58 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I am your host today, Lonnie Weissauer, SDL KISS on the KISS FAQ message board. And I'm the one running point today, and I am joined by Julian, the admin, Ken, 69th Blizzard, and Daniel all the way from... Where are you at, Daniel? I'm in Sweden. Sweden, I'm sorry. Yeah. All the way from Sweden, Daniel, the wheeze. And Julian, this is the one. This is the one that you've been waiting for. And because today we are talking about what I refer to as the glory days of KISS. When all was right in the world of KISS, they had an amazing new album. They had an amazing lineup that would punch you in the teeth. And of course... New eggs. And of course I am talking about 1992. What I refer to as... It's my favorite year of the band. And Daniel's on board with me at least. So I'm glad I have Daniel here today for support. To some degree. (laughs) So we will be discussing... Revenge, uh, Revenge album, the Revenge tour, and Kiss Extreme Close-Up, which came out in 1992 as well. So, 1992 started, I guess, on a somber, I guess, it started on a somber note. Um, Eric Carr passed away on November 24th, 1991, and... Eric Singer had already been in the studio recording some tracks for the album while Eric was hospitalized. And Eric's first public appearance with the band took place at the NAMM convention on January 17th, 1992. And to help promote the new album, Kiss embarked on a club tour, which Ken got to see the first night of, which I'm really jealous because you look like in a kiss alive forever that venue holds like 750 people and (laughs) the venue holds like 750 people and ken was lucky enough to be there and ken you're not like one of those guys who who says they were at the detroit show in 1996 you really were at the show in 1992 is that right i was at the show and we were packed like sardines but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We were right up front. And I think I was right next to one of the speakers, too. So it was blaring right in one of my ears. And, uh, but it, it, was, it was fantastic. It's awesome. So that show is April 23rd, about a few weeks before the album comes out. Um, let's talk about the album first, then we'll get into the club tour and the, uh, and the arena tour and the long-form video. Let's talk about the album first. Um, People know my thoughts on the album, so I'm going to hold off to give mine. Um, Daniel, let's hear yours. Let's hear your thoughts on the album. Um, if you could just go through the album for us. Well, it, it depends. Um, it's it's kind of hard, you know. When I was uh, anticipating the album, um, I I was re- I had real high expectations. Because the first time I heard anything from the album, it was that video, you know, Unholy. 
and I thought that video kicked ass. I thought the song kicked ass. Then I remember, you know, I remember um, playing golf with one of my friends and knowing that the post arrived, uh, you know, at three o'clock and we were playing and I, I just looked at my clock and I said, I have to get home because maybe the new Kiss album has arrived at home. So I, I um, abruptly ended the golf session and went home and got the album. And then I sat down, you know, as, as you did when you were a kid, opened up the, the booklet, listened, uh, read the lyrics. Of course, I'm from Sweden, so I didn't quite get all of it. But I understood, uh, you know, for example, Unholy. And then I remember being quite let down, mainly because I thought Paul Stanley didn't have a single song that I liked. But that was the first time I, I, I listened to it then. And certain things grew on me uh, and certain things did not grow, grow on me. So, um, but that was the first impression. Very cool. So did, you, so did you see the video for Unholy before you bought the album or, was, or did you buy the album and then see the video for Unholy? No, I saw the the uh, the video first at Headbangers Ball Europe. Right. And I was so proud watching that one. Yeah. You know, it's like rooting for a team, the 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 Raiders or whatever the hell the, the American football teams are called that you have on your caps there. But but uh, uh, you know, that was like when you when you're really into a band, it's like rooting for a for a sports team. You want them to succeed and. When I saw that video, I thought, yes, they're back, and this would be a great success, and maybe they'll come to Sweden as well. They didn't. <laughs> yeah, that was my, my first impression of the album, too, was seeing the video for, for Revenge on MTV. And, you know, you at least at that time for me, I, I would just have MTV, if, especially if I was home by myself or something, I would just have MTV on in the background. Instead of, like, having the radio on, I would just have MTV on. That's how it was, especially in that time. Um, and I remember hearing the song and, and kind of thinking, and I don't think I was watching it. Maybe I was in the other room or something. I'm like, that kind of sounds like Gene singing. And I went in there and I, and I saw it and I was like, I was just like blown away because they looked so demonic as opposed to what the band had looked like. They had a totally image change. And it was Kiss like reinventing themselves, you know, yet again. And they were much, I guess, lack of better words, they were tough and cool looking as opposed to what they had looked like um, in previous tours and previous albums. So I was, and I, and, and I liked the song too. Um, so the video debuted on Headbangers Ball in April, on April 18th, 1992, and the album came out in May 19th, 1992. The album debuted at number six on the Billboard charts and was certified gold by July 20th before really... Unfortunately, not sustaining a lot of momentum and, and, and taking a plunge. So, um, Julian, what were your for, first thoughts on the album when you heard it? Um, I don't even remember when I first heard it. I know, what, May 1992. Um, where the hell was I in May 1992? Um, <laughs> shit, where was I? I was, I was in America. Yeah, I was, in, <laughs> I was living in Scranton, Pennsylvania at that time. Um, tail end of my career at Penn State. So... I, I seem to recall also seeing the video on MTV, and compared with everything else that was on at the time, it really didn't do a whole lot for me. It was very 
kind of the opposite direction to what I really expected Kiss to be, being good, fun, rock and roll, cheesy lyrics. Um, instead, I loved the intro. I thought, okay, that's interesting. Um, I kind of liked the look that they had kind of toughened up a little bit. So I guess I fall, fall in that 14-year-old demographic they were aiming for. And then the rest of the music just didn't do much for me. Um, you know, when when I eventually got the album, I, I think we were still in the house anyway um, that I shared with the students. We were still listening to mostly Nirvana and Pearl Jam and The Grateful Dead. Um, so it, it really kind of clashed with everything else that was going on musically in my in my world. Um you know, obviously, there's a lot of good material on the album that we'll get into, but you know, that's that's my first recollection. I, I do also seem to recall having a, a rock magazine at the time and calling the local, you know, Scranton record store, used place, and asking if the album was out yet. Did, did they have a single for Unholy? Did they have the seven-inch single? Did it exist and, and all that? And being an annoying little tosser, but um, nothing's different. So you know, that's that's all I remember kind of about my introduction to Unholy, and knowing that a new album was coming out. So, mm -hmm. Ken, what about you? Did you see the video before you got the album? Or, or uh, I did see the video before the album. Um, I saw the video. I th I'm sure it was Headbangers Ball. Mm -hmm. um, so I usually... It was appointment TV back in the day. Yeah, I think I had a scheduled uh, VHS taping of that. I had always taped it. Uh, the Headbangers Ball, and it just oh, it would over. I'd overwrite it the next week. I'd watch it, then watch, you know, if I wasn't there to uh, watch it live. Uh, but uh, I, I thought that video was fantastic. I was really happy uh, with what I was seeing, and and the music was, even though it's not, uh, I wouldn't call it that song party music or anything like that. It's <laughs> it's just a great darn song, you know. It's it rocks you. It, there's you know uh, nothing hold, holding back on that one. And then their look was fantastic, which finally they kind of found their their image, uh, their un, you know their non makeup image mm -hmm. uh, that worked. I so, just have to correct. Okay. Go, go ahead. I just have to correct myself. I. I, I uh... I, uh, I I said I was waiting. I, I was meant to say I was waiting for the mail. I said the Swedish world. I think I, said I was waiting for the post. I, 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 <laughs> that's something entirely different. So you know, uh, this is the thing. Uh, it's my second language, so sometimes it it kind of gets crazy. But I was waiting for the mail to arrive at three o'clock, not the post. Uh, I just wanted to add that if I confused you. But I got it. I got it. It's we, called we, it's called mail is po post in Swedish. That's okay. okay. That's okay. In, in in England, it's post as well. So uh, you know, okay. at least half of us understood. I I, under, I understood it actually. We got. I, I got it. it. I was on the same wavelength with you. <laughs> um, so uh, after seeing them there, um, I think. Uh, the video. I think the next time I heard any song was I think I saw the, it was the, the club tour. Uh, before I saw the got the album, I think I I think the club show was before the album came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your club so, show. So oh, yeah. I heard a couple more songs, blaring over the the uh, speakers there. So I was I was very excited to hear that, and they were good songs. And I was like, okay, this uh, this album's gonna, gonna rock. Were they playing uh, so, the album? Like, were they playing, they were playing like, the, the album? Yeah. Like, so or? as we were filing in, 
they're playing the album over the loudspeakers as everyone is filing into the club. And, uh, you know, I heard, I, I knew I didn't hear the songs before, but then I, right away I heard, the first thing I heard was uh, Thou Shalt Not. That was the very first thing I heard walking in. Nice. And I thought, wow, this, this is great. You know, another great Gene song right after I've heard Unholy uh, right. on TV. And then I hear this other one. It's like, oh, this is, this is great. You know? Sorry, that is just so cool. You know, first show with Eric Singer, first mm. show of the Revenge Era, you know, in a club. With that set, first hearing of a lot of revenge. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a great story. I love that. Every time you know you tell. No, it's yeah, I, it's it's a great experience. I'll never forget it. And did real, we're going to get into that in a, in a little bit here? But did you like shit your pants when they played Parasite, like the fourth song of that show? It's like holy crap. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I did. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean... just it was probably just looking next to my buddy and like going, oh, oh I can't believe it. They're playing this, you know? It's, and then, you know, and we were, like I said, we were packing like sardines and I was, I, it was, it was, it got so hot. And I, you know, everyone was just all sweaty, bumping against you. There. But I didn't care, man. I was having the greatest time mm-hmm. listening to the, listening to it. It was just fantastic. So the album comes out May 19th. Um, 12 songs total on it. Uh, last one being Car Jam 1981. But it kicks off with Unholy, which um, Larry Mazar was manager of the band at the time. And that was Larry. That's Larry's response. Larry's responsible for Unholy being the first song on there, being a Gene song. He wanted a Gene song to kick off the album. He wanted, and he had told Gene when they were, you know, getting ready to record, he wanted the demon to come back. And Gene shines on this album. It, it might be Gene's one of, if not Gene's best Kiss albums, in my opinion. Um, the Gene songs are, are what, in my opinion, what makes the album so great. Between Unholy, between Domino, Spit, Thou Shall Not. I mean, it's paralyzed. They're great Gene songs. Um, Daniels, you know, expressed that he was disappointed in, in Paul Stanley on the album, but. And I, and I I can see where Daniel's coming from. I'm not going to agree with him because I'm not going to say anything negative today. But I can see where Daniel's coming from, um, from his perspective, though. Um, especially with Paul being the driving force of the band um, all throughout the 80s. That you're expecting, like, major Paul singles to come off the album and be very Paul, Stan- like Paul Stanley strong. Um, so it kicks off Unholy, which just, in my opinion, sets the tone for the whole album. And we've discussed on here before about God Gave Rock and Roll to You, how, and Daniel and I both both agreed on this, that although I like the song, for the the tone of the album, it doesn't really fit in well. It's kind of like crammed in there. It's track number five, just kind of, as you're going in the album, it's kind of like crammed in there. It's just, it doesn't have the same feel. Like, it sits in between Spit and Domino, just, Take it at that. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't have the, the feel that the rest of the album has. But I get. But the only reason they put it on there is because they had such a enormous success with the, with it. And well, you know, we can throw that on there. Maybe it might entice people to go buy the album because oh yeah, I'm, you know that from a year or two ago and it was on the Bill and Ted soundtrack. So. Um. So overall, you guys get the album. Did you guys get the album the day it came out? I remember 
I got it after school. I was in junior high, and one of the deals was that I could go buy the album, but I had to have my homework done before <laughs> I was allowed to go buy the album. So, man, you see, your parents seem to be. Wasn't they? It, <laughs> they, feel they, sorry they, they forced you to stay at home when Kiss had a concert in. Oh, we're gonna get. We're gonna tell that story in full today. Oh my. <laughs> 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 but, but uh but the deal was you know you can't go by the mt you have your homework done it's like every chance like i had in school if i had five minutes you know i'm doing a math problem or something just try to get my homework done just a little little by little so i could go by the album so by like seven o'clock i had my homework done you know like, all right well me, my brother and i went up the best buy and i bought the album you know got it home and listened to it as much as i could that night you know before i go to bed because i'm junior high i gotta get go to school the next day so um, but I remember like the same thing that we would always do. I think as kids flipping, you know, you get the album out, you put it in and the first thing you do is open it up and like, look at pictures of the band and look how, how cool they look or, you know, what you liked, what you didn't like. And, you know, I love the, I, I love the album artwork. I still love the album's artwork. I think it's, it's, um, it's perfect, especially for the time that it was released with, you know, with Metallica doing what they were doing with Megadeth doing what they were doing. They were really, it's kiss copying trends. Yeah. That they wanted it to be that kind of, of image. So what are your, what about you guys? Did you guys get the album? So you guys get, you guys have seen unholy. You go get the album. What are your thoughts on the album after you get it? Julian's shaking his head. So let's start with him. Get yeah, this I, I didn't get, I didn't get the album anytime soon after it came. <laughs> I didn't get it until August when I moved back to, uh, to Scotland. Uh, didn't have any money. So I couldn't afford it. I mean, um, whenever, you know, in that house I had money, the money went to a keg. So uh, <laughs> there simply wasn't an opportunity. And to be honest, I was not that thrilled um, with Unholy. So with all, with all the other music that was going on in the house, like I said, you know, I did not get it. So as soon as I got into to Scotland, I did buy it. Um, but that was like in August. Some Kiss fan, huh? Yeah. You gotta buy it the day it comes out. That's what. I'm disappointed, Julian. Yeah. <laughs> so was I when I bought it. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna sit here and shut up now while we wait for Daniel's stream <laughs> no, to come it back. More, makes it more entertaining. <laughs> uh, Ken, we'll go to you then. What do Daniel's back? So, Ken, you get the album. You go get what are your what are your thoughts? You you had just seen the couple of weeks prior to that you saw the the show in San Francisco, you heard him play Unholy that night. You heard him play Take It Off that night, and God gave rock and roll to you. A couple of weeks later, you go buy the album. What are your initial thoughts? Do you remember after your, after getting it? Sorry. Yes, I do remember buying it, and I think I bought it the first day it came out. Um, I probably was working, and I uh, near my work there was a Tower Records, so I'm sure I went at lunch over at the Tower and and picked it up, and then brought it back. And it's possible I even played it at work. You know, it's it's possible. I can't remember for sure, but <clears throat> definitely it was. I put it on. I know I put it on at home and. Uh, and had it cranked up, and I was just, you know, blown away by most of it. Um, like uh, I think, uh, I think Daniel said uh, the Paul Stanley songs were 
uh, a couple of them were a little bit, uh, took a little bit longer to grow on me than the Gene songs. The Gene songs kind of right away, I was, you know, I was liking what I was hearing. So Paul Stanley's songs were good and not up to Gene's level, I would think, um, on that album. And, um, you know, it was just a, it's solid though otherwise i mean it was i'm not saying paul's were bad or anything they were pretty darn good and they grew on me over time and they've you know i listened to it yesterday or the day before yesterday the whole album and you know there was nothing i wanted to skip nothing i just that's right played it all the way through so it was great so daniel what about you 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 kind of gave your perspective, I guess, when you your first thoughts. You were a little disappointed in the Paul Stanley songs on it when you first got it. Um, so let's talk about. There's some. There's a different a different songwriter appears on this album that we hadn't seen or heard from in the Kiss world for a while. We'd be. We have to. We have to at least mention that that Bob Ezrin. Well, well, there's One. him. <laughs> and, there, the and there's another um, a gentleman who I believe wears a wig that wrote a few songs. Kane Roberts? <laughs> Julian <Dean's being> ass. <laughs> <laughs> but Vinnie Vincent makes an appearance. Not, well, not an appearance, but he co-writes some songs with... He co-writes I Just Wanna with Paul. Co-writes Unholy with Gene. Yeah. Um, is he, is there, are there others on here, Julian? Heart of Chrome. Heart of Chrome. Heart of Chrome. Look at that. Heart of Chrome with Bob Ezrin and Paul Stanley. Yeah, those are the three he wrote uh, with them. I think he, he, that they used, I think all told he did six songs with them. Um, but the other three were neither recorded or finished necessarily, so. Hmm. I have a ticket stub from Revenge Tour in St. Louis. It was twenty dollars. Mm. My brother rubbed it into me and gave me his ticket stub. <laughs> but, yeah. So Vinny makes an appearance. How weird is that? That after all this time, they go back to the well with Vinny. Um, and Heart of Chrome, I just wanna, and Unholy. Two of the three songs are chosen as singles for the album. Um, what were your guys' thoughts that you saw Vinnie Vincent as a songwriter? I wonder what Bruce Kulick was thinking that they're bringing in Vinnie Vincent to write songs. Was Bruce, I, don't, I don't know if Bruce was ever threatened by that, um, bringing in a former member to, to co-write songs with him. But um had to be a little interesting, maybe a little internal conflict at the time, too. Yeah, I think it was pretty interesting on the convention tour when the only time I've seen Bruce Kulick angry was when he... Um, Talked about Vinnie Vincent uh, taking, um, you know, honors for for the unholy solo. I think it was right. And Bruce Kulick was kind of calling him out. Well, where is that motherfucker? Let me put my fist in his face. You know, or sort of in in that uh, way he said it. Uh, and that's the only time I've seen Bruce uh, being angry and showing some balls. Otherwise, he's just. You know, like the studio musician doing what Paul and Jean tells him to do and doing it really good as well. He has always done great guitar stuff, but that's the only time I've seen him showing some attitude 
And I like that. Yeah, I mean, Bruce is usually very, very melancholy and very laid back. Yeah. And doesn't you, man. get too upset, but um, I think he's really proud of his guitar work on Holding. and doesn't like... Uh, than like a guy like that walking around saying that no no I, that's all me but kind of kind of fits par for the course almost. yeah but but who would that's his art who would want someone else yeah. you know insin- insinuating that that was no. not him and I mean yeah. shit Bruce can play the hell out of the guitar you know yeah you know this Bruce's is, work on that album is incredible this is yes. Bruce Bruce finally being unleashed you know and being driven to saying hey we gotta have a tough as nail you know guitar Bruce do it. And this is Bruce proving that he's not just someone who can play everyone else's stuff perfectly. This is someone who can come up with his own. And, you know, when when you become offended by, like, the unholy solo fiasco, yeah, damn right, he gets angry. And rightfully so, because, yeah. you know, he's he goes through these solos on his website, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he does, like, the song stories for all his albums. And the stuff, you know, that he goes into on these are, are really interesting. But for me, Vinnie Vincent coming back, I was actually excited about that because I like Vinnie. I like his work with the band. I like his songwriting in particular. And I was really excited to hear what he had brought in and then very disappointed with the, with the results. I'm not a fan of Unholy. I respect that it's a very different piece of Kiss music and they tried something different. It just doesn't work for me. I just want to, I mean, when... They played that at my wedding, Julian. Well, not like at the ceremony, but the reception. You dance. <laughs> okay, let me let, let me think. Choose my. People started leaving. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just want to. Fuck. I, <laughs> I just I just want to. I mean, I just thought that was just so cheesy. It doesn't work for me. Yeah, you know, I agree. You know, the younger me, maybe you know, I, but now it just annoys me. The only decent contribution on that song from uh, on that album that Vinny made is "Heart of Chrome," which I love as a song. You know, that is probably one of my top picks off the whole album. And, you know, it's probably not one that a lot of other people are going to choose. But, you know, there you go. I love Hard Chrome, too. But I love the riff on that. So um, so let's talk about the club tour. Kiss sets out on a 13-date club tour of the United States um, to promote the album. And... This is going to be Ken's time to shine because they start the show, they start the tour in San Francisco, which Ken attended. And it's the first show with Eric Singer officially as a drummer. And they come out and they play 28 freaking songs. I mean, compared to what we get today and compared to what they were playing on Crazy Nights, they come out and they play 28 songs. And they play for the first time since 76. They play Parasite. For the first time since 76, they play 100,000 Years. They play, it's the live debut of Unholy, Take It Off, and God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Um, just played some absolute, and then not only that, but just song, just the song selections themselves outside of those songs. Just incredible um, playing I Stole Your Love, God of Thunder, kicking off the show with Love Gun, Straight in the Deuce. You know, I I want yous in there. It's tears are falling. Incre- tears tears are falling, Julian. Sorry, and it's just an incredible set list. Um, Where's King and- King of the Mountain? God damn it! <laughs> damn it. Oh, King of the Mountain. Fits but like a glove. It's a it, it fits like a glove is gone for the first time in a while. Actually, hallelujah. 
<laughs> they played that all through the eighties. But and those boot and we've all had bootlegs of those of those club shows and they're some of my favorite bootlegs. They're so yeah. incredible. The band is just Definitely. on fire. Especially on those cl- on that club tour. So Ken sees it Ken sees it. He hears him playing revenge as he's walking in. And I'm sure we've talked about this before, but Ken, what were your thoughts walking out after seeing that show and that small of a venue seeing Kiss just completely obliterated? Well, when I walked out after the show, I thought, I'm sure I said it to said, this is probably one of the, if not the best, the one of the best Kiss performances I, I had ever seen. Um, they were so tight. It just blew me away. Sure, there's no makeup. There's no fireworks. There's no bombs. But they just they just rocked the the place and uh, you know it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, it's that's probably in my top. Oof. I would say top four shows definitely that I've ever seen. And uh, um, <clears throat> just the other thing about it is it went so fast. Even though they played twenty eight songs, I felt like it was just an hour or something. I mean, that's how much we were you know enjoying it. It just went by so quickly even though they played. it was just so good and uh so yeah no regrets i'm glad i was able to you know pick up a ticket when i saw that they were going to sell and you know it was like in the paper or something mm. um so that's for people that <laughs> don't know what a like a it newspaper back in the day, is. you have to check the papers <laughs> yeah you had to look at the papers to see what upcoming concerts were going on sale mm-hmm. um, usually it was like a Sunday paper, usually, that, that you'd see that stuff. So uh, and I, I remember I was like, wow, they're going to play the, you know, the Stone. I'm like, wow, this is okay. I've got, I got to get that ticket, you know. So fortunately, uh, and probably, probably, probably one of the reasons I did get a ticket was because there's, you know, their, their uh, fan base has probably dropped a little bit around that time, too, anyway. And uh, so that kind of left an opening for me to probably be able to get one one of those tickets. Mm. I mean, I was looking in Kiss Alive Forever, and the place holds like seven hundred and fifty people. I mean, that's that's crazy how small it is when you when you think about it. Yeah, we were jam we were jam packed, and I still have that. Uh, like you have that ticket stub there. I ha- I know I have that ticket. Stub. I saved all my ticket stubs. So. so you can prove that you were there. You're not one of these guys. I can prove it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like everybody I talk to says they're at the Detroit 96 show, but you were really at the Stone show in San Francisco, so that's awesome. Hey, can I have a question for you? Were you aware of Eric Singer before Kiss? Did you, had you, like I, I like Badlands. I remember picking up that album when I lived in Singapore and being blown away by it and then picking mm-hmm. up uh, Eternal Idol and him being on that with Sabbath. I mean, did you know know him, and what was your impression of going into the Stone and seeing Blondie come out behind the drums? You know, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. a, su- such a contrast to the other guy's appearance. I mean, well, I, I knew I saw him on the. Uh, I knew he was in Badlands. I, that's all I knew about him, um, and then um, so, and then him being in the video for Unholy. So I said, okay. Um, and I said, no, they let, they let him keep his blonde hair. I was like, oh, that's surprising. So he didn't have to dye it black. Um, so when I went in there, it's like, well, let's, you know, I can, let's see what he can do. And he was just fantastic. The band was so tight. Um, 
So, yeah, I didn't know a whole lot about him beforehand. Um, I probably heard him, heard his music, but didn't know he was playing it on the other albums uh, that I probably had or listened to. So, but uh, he, he was fantastic. So Julian, you said you were aware of Badlands and that, and you and you, and you were a Badlands fan. So what what were your thoughts then when you heard Eric was joining Kiss then? I thought he he was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I I had uh, because of Ray Gillen, you know, followed his trajectory, and that's where you know I figured out who Eric Singer was. I mean, I'd uh, you know had the Sabbath albums with Gillen, or the one that he was supposed to do that he didn't. Um, you know, so I've been aware of Gillen and Sabbath that had bootlegs of those tours. And then, of course, the Badlands stuff came out, and I really dug that. I didn't actually know that by that time Singer had been fired from Badlands because I didn't follow them that closely, couldn't from Asia. Um, so, you know, from the work he'd done on that album, which is just a brilliant debut, you know, uh, with Jake Ely, of course, yeah, I was well pleased that he'd joined Kiss because I thought he was, you know, I, I knew who he was as a drummer and knew that he was competent. It wasn't like some name I didn't recognize. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, the guy from Badlands, I like that album. He must be okay. And I didn't fis- figure Kiss would hire someone that wasn't anyway. So I um, wasn't too sure about the blonde hair. I was like, why are they getting someone who looks so different? But there you go. Yeah, and Bruce has talked about that about the blonde hair thing. Uh, I remember hearing some interviews with Bruce and that, you know, that they, you know, Eric had asked him, you guys are going to make me dye my hair, and they they decided that they weren't because they wanted the they wanted to give the image that Kiss was more about just you know New York dark hair type band that they were they were a little bit more than that, and that's kind of the image they were trying to portray with Revenge that they were more than the makeup, they were more than what their hair looked like, that they were a band, and that the music was you know important, and I think I think the album speaks for itself that the music's more important, but. Um, you know, it's just an, it just it, it, it was very unique. I remember, you know, seeing, you know, obviously getting the album and looking at looking at the back cover picture with Eric on there. It's like, you know, it's really a different look for Kiss. You know, with the long, dominant looking blonde hair on there. So as trivial as it sounds, at the time in 1992, I mean, you'd seen Kiss all throughout the 80s and all through in 70s, even all with dark hair. That was a that was a fairly, you know, conversation piece really at the time. So, um, so Ken's the only one that got to see the Revenge um, Club tour, and um, go check out those videos because they're they're incredible. If you guys haven't, but I'm sure most people are watching already have. So, um, so then they go to Europe and they do some shows in England with the Hot in the Shade tours, the, with the Hot in the Shade backdrop. Um, some really cool shows over there too, opening with I Still Your Love and, you know, throwing in some revenge songs also. And then they do a promo tour in Europe after that. The, uh, they released a second single for the album with I Just Wanna debuts on Headbangers Ball on July 14th. And then actually, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. On June 16th, I Just Wanna, a um, debuts on Headbangers Ball, and then a month later, Kiss Extreme Close Up comes out, a long form video of the band on July 14th. Um, I remember getting Extreme Close Up when it came out, and for me, being where I was, it was very informative for me about the band's history. You know, 
especially being that I wasn't present in the in the 70s when when they were wearing the makeup with Ace and Peter, I learned a lot that first time I watched it, and it's still really one of my go-to videos for the band. Um, I think I think it tells a story um, really well, and somebody asked wants to know. Um, any kind of history about the band? That's really the the video I would I would refer them to. I mean, obviously you don't get the reunion and everything that happened after that, but it, most people might at least know about the reunion and everything that happened after that. But what are your guys' thoughts on Kiss Extreme Close Up, Daniel? Well, at the time I, I wasn't that old. I, I, I was a teenager, and it was it, as you said, it was good information about the band, so you got a grip on how, what had happened previously. But I do remember vividly seeing parts from the club tour in that video. You saw like flashes from the club tour. I think it was like the Los Angeles show or, or the Toronto show or something. And I remember the first thing I thought, because I was really into the current kiss. I wasn't that into the makeup kiss. I, I was into the current kiss. And I saw those flashes from the club tour and I thought, man release a video from the club tour goddammit that's what I want to see not them talking about you know history uh, even though I appreciate that to, to some degree but but uh, I remember seeing those glimpses and thinking man I would like to see a full you know club tour show and just think about it if they would have filmed that professionally like the San Francisco show for example or the Brooklyn show, or I guess they could have filmed any of those shows because all of them were great, sounded great at least. And um, so that was what I was thinking watching that video. Man, show, show, <laughs> release a live video. Uh, but other than that, uh, it was kind of cool. I, I didn't like when he trashed like Mark St. John and so on. What's so funny now? What's happening? Lonnie. Yeah, that that thing. I did. I didn't like that when he typical Gene. But um, so you know, I wanted a live video from the club tour, but it never happened. I guess they never filmed one. The best one, if you guys out there want to see something, is I guess there's a a one camera shot video from Los Angeles that's kind of kind of good. It's on YouTube. Yeah, I've I, you know I haven't listened to or watched that one. I have always just relied on the on the Stone to be my go-to, you know, audio from that because that is the most bombastic and clearest. I just absolutely dig. That. I know there's some other good ones. Extreme close-up. I didn't get that for a while. Um, you know, again, being back in Scotland, it was get the album. Didn't want to go go into you know downtown where all the record stores were when i did get it i thought it was pretty good i, I thought it was i i'd grown up from exposed and you know <laughs> that went a long way to just being the sort of thing i wanted from the band clips more clips narrative you know everything just kind of packed in and, and it remains you know a really good video it's got a little bit of everything it's very imperfect but you know it, it's it's like a buffet uh, visual yeah. treats, you know, dip into jeans kind of uh, phrasing, but you know, it, I thought it was a successful product. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's still one of my favorite. This is this is back in the day when Kiss actually put out videos, but 
you know, they they don't do such thing anymore. So. Yeah. Shit, on a on a yearly basis as well. Yeah. This, this, yes. this was the start of you know several years in a row or a good five years of videos. Uh, oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good follow up to uh, exposed for me, and I know I bought I probably, I probably bought that uh, this video on the first day it came out too. I'm sure. Uh, usually that kind of stuff, I just try to get it the first day. And uh, I enjoyed it. This is the, about the time, though, that they, Gene and Paul were really heavily into their Ace and Peter bashing period um, during the, you know, the mm-hmm. early 90s. And uh, But uh, that's the only thing that was kind of, uh, you know, you don't, you don't need to bash them so hard. Um, but, uh, you know, it was great. All the... The old videos again. They were showing it. They showed the new videos. I mean, it started off with Unholy, mm-hmm. um, which you know, I was like, "Oh, it's great!" You know, I want to see that video again so I can watch it over and over. Um, so it, it it was a great video. Yeah, it was great to have for me too. At the time, it was great to have my own copy. The video was great because I had my own copy of Unholy and then my own copy of I Just Want It at the end. Mm-hmm. So there was. I didn't have to, if I wanted to watch those, I didn't have to sit in front of MTV and sit through all the other crap and wait for them to come on. Man, so, we're old. Man, we're old. I know. <laughs> sit in front of MTV. People are, if it, I, I don't know who listens to the show, but if there's like young kids that listen to the show and like, sit in front of MTV and wait for a video to come yeah. on, what's that about? What yeah. Was that? yeah, this video was the first time I saw I Just Wanna and Let's Put the X. Because I had never seen those uh, back in when I was in the states on anything, so you know it was a really cool way to catch up on a lot of the shit I'd missed. Now, the, and they did release two other videos for Revenge with Domino, and every time I look at you, um, I remember seeing Domino once on MTV, and I don't, and I don't even think I, I saw the whole thing. Like I got up. I flipped it on, and it was like midway through the song. I'm like, oh, my God, that's a video for Domino. Jesus driving around in a car, drinking out of a styrofoam cup. It was really kind of strange. <laughs> but, it was, but at the same time, it was cool because it was a kiss video. Um, but I never saw the video for every time I look at you. Yeah, I, I mean, never, ever, ever saw ever, that. Until, until maybe YouTube, I don't think I ever saw that. I missed um, it. It was... I mean, what about you guys? Do you guys see either of those two videos on MTV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in, in Europe, um, things were... I remember when Revenge were was released, it felt like Kiss was coming back. They were getting a revenge. Uh, people were excited. And initially, people were excited. But it kind of fizzled out, you know. Mm. Uh, but I remember Headbangers Ball in Europe. You had Vanessa Warwick. Warwick she was the host. She had crazy hair. She was, uh, I think she was married to the guy in The Almighty, a British band. And uh, they always said, next week we're going to premiere the uh, the video of Domino. And the same thing was with uh, Every Time I Look at You. And I remember saying, because this show was at 12, you know, at midnight. And uh, and it ended at 2, 2, am so uh, i remember staying up trying to record every time i look at you and falling asleep and missing out on the recording and having to wait you know like five ten years until i saw it so <laughs> till the next time so that yeah till the next time they showed it on tv 
so uh, that was the way it was back then. Yeah. If, um, a, if, if a video failed, you only saw it once. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't play much. Um, for me, uh, I don't remember Domino ever. I don't remember ever seeing it on TV. I think I had to wait until years later to see it on something else, um, bootleg or whatever. Um, and then every time I, I, I remember seeing every time I look at you one time really? on MTV, I actually saw it once. I remember seeing it. Um, the thing about Domino's, uh, I don't know, we've talked about this, but, uh, you know, Domino people say it's, that's, you know, it's Gene's attempt at a ZZ Top, you know, sound or song. It has that kind of, if you listen to it, you can. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. And, and the other thing is, and I wanted to say real quick, is I was, when I listened to Revenge Your Day, the uh, the song Spit, I thought that song is really a song, <clears throat> a a Van Halen song with Kiss trapped inside, or or vice versa, or whatever. Um, I could see David Lee Roth singing that song and Van Halen performing that. Just listen to it, you know. Next time you listen to it, just you know. Think about it, you know, Van Halen, and see if it. I think that would have worked for them. It's more of their style. Yeah, David Lee Roth probably could have pulled off some of those lyrics with a little bit more uh, yeah. credibility oh. than Paul Stanley or whoever did the bigger the cushion or the fucking. They did the boat, yeah. So uh, yeah, that that I could handle. Very David Lee Roth, sort of Van Halen type lyrics. Yeah. Exactly, and it just I could see it happening. I could see them doing that. It's pretty good. That's. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that before, but that that does kind of, it, it does. It's it, like I said, it's very tongue in cheek Van Halen type lyrics that w- it would would have worked very well for them, um, especially especially with Roth the singer out there. So not as much Sammy Daniels. What are you doing, Daniel? <laughs> the lights on again. No, I freaking hate it. Like, <laughs> shut down every fifteen minutes. So crazy. Was with the days in England when we had to put 50p in the electricity to keep it running for a little bit longer. So, actually had coin-operated electricity in our houses. Are you kidding? Okay. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> but but I remember staying in the UK. I was actually in in the UK one month after they played there in '92. It was uh-huh. my first time in the UK, and uh, just to Julian there, they they closed the. Uh, they shut down the e- electricity during the night. Is that very common in England? Because I remember going down in the early morning. We, we lived uh, with some family, and and the guy was sitting there in his robe, and when he breathed, "Good morning, boys," you know, like you saw <laughs> you the, see the, the you saw the air uh, coming out of his mouth, and we were like, "What the fuck is this? Do, do you turn off the the heat during the night? You're crazy." Well, so, yeah. That's, it's, it's like you, yeah, it was, and you had to you had to actually turn on heating specifically to heat your water, to have a bath. And, you know, fucking nuts. Yeah. Never did get out of the nineteenth century in many places. So, yeah. wow. <laughs> boy, people are really gonna think we're old if we watch this. We are, <laughs> even though you can't tell looking at us. <laughs> so, Kiss returns to the United States in the fall of '92. To do their arena tour, uh, not after the success of the Hot in the Shade tour just a few years earlier, um, Kiss has not experienced the same type of success that they had. Unfortunately, they had a. Although I, I think the set list is very comparable to 
the Hot in the Shade set list, where there's a lot of classics thrown in there. It's not like they do. Put, there's quite a bit of revenge songs on the set list for for the tour, but there are. I mean, they they play a lot of classic tunes as well that they they had started doing on the Hot in the Shade tour. So, um, with a cool set, with a cool backdrop, the Statue of Liberty in the background for the U.S. version, U.S. leg of the Revenge tour. Um, Julian, you didn't. I know you didn't see it, Daniel. Did, Ken, did you see a Arena Revenge tour? Yes, yeah, yeah. I saw one of the last uh, towards the end of the year. I think it was. November, yeah, it was like one of the last Sunday. shows was out there, wasn't it? Um, in in Oakland, uh, I saw them there. But uh, December eighteenth. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was near Christmas. They don't usually do something that deep into the year. Um, I remember that was kind of unique, um, playing the show that late into December. Um, but uh, I remember it, it, this arena, it's the Coliseum, the Coliseum. Um, <laughs> it, it was not filled very well. You know, there was not a lot of people there. Um, I don't know what the ticket sales for that was, but it, it was not good. Um, so, but having said that, they rocked again. A great, another great show. The stage with the Statue of Liberty, with the you know the face coming off, the mm-hmm. the finger thing going on, and and all that stuff. Uh, it, it was a it was very good, very good show. I enjoyed it. Though I didn't enjoy it as much as the uh, the club show. You know, the club show was better yeah. for me. But it, it was it ranks up there pretty high. I get that though, because there, there's something just special about. No matter who you see at a, at a small, intimate setting like that, especially if it's packed. Like I saw, I saw Megadeth at a club about that size in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. It was just packed like that. And it was just unfreaking believable. Yeah. But I can't imagine. I mean, I, I was seeing Megadeth like that, and I like Megadeth, but it's not. I don't have Megadeth tattoos all over my body. So I mean, <laughs> seeing Kiss like that would just blow my freaking mind. So. Um, yeah, and I just opened up my digital copy of Kiss Alive Forever and. They don't have the uh, attendance stats for that one, so oh, maybe really? it was one. It was just me, <laughs> just just you and a few close friends. One yeah. of the shows that Paul could have called out for pizza yeah. for. So Kiss did tour um, the U.S. and they did come to St. Louis. They played St. Louis, where I live, November thirteenth, nineteen ninety two. And my brother came home from school. My brother was in high school, and I was in junior high. And he came home, and he says, "Lonnie, Kiss is coming." to the arena and I was like oh my gosh we gotta go in is it you know he told me I was like oh it's a Friday night it's perfect we don't have school the next day it's gonna be great you know finally gonna get to see him so we go out and we get like six tickets for me my brother my other brother and some other of our friends we're all gonna go together it's gonna be fantastic I can't wait so I'm in eighth grade at the time and the cool thing at my school in eighth grade was there's some like if you find like a BMW or a Mercedes they have like chrome air caps on their tires and it was cool to get the chrome air caps and put them on your bicycle and a lot of my friends have had stolen these air caps off these tires on cars and put them on their bikes and it's like Lonnie you don't have them on your on your bike I'm like no 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 and I, I didn't I, I didn't have the balls to go to go do that but uh one day in about middle of October maybe the end of October I, I get I'm walking my dog and I see a car that has these things on it I said, like, all right, I'm going to go back home. After I get done walking the dog, I'm going to go back 
I'm gonna get my bike, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, you know. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal these these chrome caps off these off these tires. So I build up the nerve and I ride my bike back to this house, and and I uh, I uh, get off my bike and I go up to the car and I start unscrewing unscrewing these air caps off this car. And sure enough, here comes a lady out of the front of this house and sees me and grabs me and who are you? Where do you live? I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> freaking out. So, and she's like, you know, goes in and tells her husband and she's and he, and he's, you deal with this. So he, the lady's like, all oh, and I, and she's like, I'll, I'll give them back. I said, I'll mow your lawn. I'll do, I'll do anything you want me to do. I said, and she goes, no, where do you live? We're going to, you know, we're going to go find your mother. We're going to tell your mother. I'm like, no, I mean. No, <laughs> do not tell my mother. I'll do, I'll do anything you want me to do. Just do not tell my parents about this. And I guess she saw how much I was freaking out that, no, that's really going to scare the piss out of this kid if I tell his parents. So she goes, all right, you get on your bike, and I'm following you to your house. Get on my bike. She follows me to my house. She tells my mom. My mom flips out. And my, my mom's like, my mom kind of played along a little bit. She was like, okay, well, there's the phone. She goes, if you want to call the police, call the police. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get a juvenile record going on him right now. She was so mad at me. It was so awful. So then, so then for some reason, I don't, I think my mom wanted me to go back to that lady's house and apologize to her husband too. So I, so I rode my bike back there and she followed me back to the house and I apologized to the husband and I'm in tears at this point because I know when I get back to the house, my life is over. So the lady felt bad at this point. She goes, you know, I'm sorry. She could, she could tell that I was in for the punishment of, the, of my lifetime. She goes, I'm sorry. She goes, we shouldn't have told your mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I go back home and... By this time, my mom's had a little bit of time to think about it. And, you know, what's really, you know, I'm first off, it's like the Simpsons episode. First off, he's grounded. <laughs> so I was, first off, Lonnie, you are grounded. Second of all, no music. Third off, you're not going to kiss in two weeks. I'm like, mm. no, ground me longer, but let me go to kiss in two yeah. weeks. Like, ground me till freaking Christmas. That's I don't care. Crazy. Tell me I can't listen to music till Christmas, something. But let me go to kiss in two weeks. And I was like, no, you're not going. She knew that would really hit home. It's like, so I, that was my punishment. Is I couldn't go see kiss in two weeks. Pretty harsh. Yeah, thank you. And I still tell her to this day, that is the most, it is the harshest punishment you ever dished out on me. Yeah. And I never got to see kiss without the makeup because of it. So, so my brothers go, of course. So they go, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. So they get to go. And, but wasn't he the crazy one? My brother? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah he's, he's nuttier than I am. And he went to the show. <laughs> he was he wasn't in trouble at the time. He wasn't in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> one time he wasn't in trouble. Right. So he goes and he felt really bad for me too because he knew how much it meant to me. So he goes and he brought me back the revenge shirt. He gave it to me for Christmas because he knew how much it meant to me, which was one of the coolest things he's ever done for me. Is that he. Made sure he still got me that the concert shirt. So. so every time you see one of those shirts, you remember the time you almost got to right. see Kiss. Exactly. <laughs> so it's still so it's almost like torture. It is. It's still in my crawl. <laughs> so lesson but, of the story: run. <laughs> but yeah. run but I, I, 
Now, do you, uh, I've always wondered. I've always <laughs> wondered. Was there a lot of coverage of the tour in America? You know, in the newspapers in in Sweden, it was it was nothing. The only thing I found in the biggest newspaper was a small, small ad. And I have to show you because it was so so small, and it was before they started the revenge tour. It looked like this: famous wow. band Kiss Statue are using the the, <laughs> the Statue of Liberty on their stage, and then they never showed anything else than this in the biggest newspaper in in, in Sweden. This was the only ad they had. They are using the Statue of Liberty, and that was it. Hmm. How was it in America? I don't remember a whole lot uh, of, of press around it. Uh, you weren't around the, I, I, I like scan the newspapers every day. Aren't they going to write anything? And that was it. I never found anything else. They covered the album pretty much, you know, like this. You know, this was Revenge getting a review in the biggest newspaper. Four mm -hmm. out of five. Kiss is back. Kiss is sexy again is actually the title. <laughs> and then they put a picture from crazy nights they're failing miserably you know <laughs> but uh, four out of five the biggest newspaper in, in but then it like fizzled out nothing happened yeah I, guess. I think it's interesting when you look at like kiss alive forever and the amount of stats that are missing from like a 1992 tour that there must not have been much coverage because you know kurt and jeff will have dug very deep you know and to not have you know anything other than your general kind of capacity for the venue, which is not going to be anywhere, you know, usually near the amount of tickets that were available for that show. You know, that's just a, to give you a ballpark of the size of the venue. So, I mean, there's stuff missing all all through this chapter on on revenge. So, I I don't obviously I'm back in Scotland by the time this tour is is going on. I don't remember much other than, you know, actually I don't remember much period from the tour. Once we once we get into you know that part of the year, I probably saw Metal Hammer and you know Kerrang, and it would have been you know just general revenge type pictures or interviews. But I don't remember anything from the tour, and I know it was at least nineteen ninety five, ninety six when I really started tape trading was the first time I really started digging into that tour, and that was I think one of the first tours I really started collecting. Yeah, it's it's. There, I, I don't remember a whole lot of, of press around it in the newspaper about the show or hearing a whole lot. I mean, obviously the, the rock radio station in town talked about them coming and tried to promote it, but I, I don't remember hearing like a lot of like commercials and things like that, you know, like promoting Kiss Out on tour. Um, so, I mean, and, and the tour wasn't selling well. I, looked, I was looking through Kiss Alive Forever the other day and the arena where... They played in St. Louis. It was half. It was literally half full. And that's yeah, sixty-five hundred for yours. But yeah, Madison, Wisconsin, attendance two thousand one hundred seventy-five. I mean, oh my oh. god, that must have been so depressing. Mm -hmm. Especially when they'd put out an album that had hit number six and dropped like a rock. And you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that the the acts that they took out with them were particularly appealing. I've never been a big great white fan, other than maybe five of their songs. Mm -hmm. um, trickster never did a thing for me uh my brother told the story and he got home he's like yeah there's this guy sitting next my brother's in high school again he was this guy sitting next to me he was so hammered he's like dude do you have trickster's first album trickster trickster and my brother's like no and he's like dude it kicks ass like, all right 
<laughs> yeah, Trickster's Trickster's one of those bands for me in that era that you know they're right there with Killer Dwarfs, just being pointless <laughs> kind of uh, you know where yeah. every, where everything went. Why why grunge killed rock? Well, Trickster and the Killer Dwarfs for me. But, yeah, it's no mm. it's no slaughter that they took out with them for Hot in the Shade. You yeah, know? And, and or Little Caesar and you know right. any of those bands that they'd had on the previous tour, you know, were actually pretty damn good bands by 1992. Right. Um, it, it wasn't as strong of a bill, um, you know, and and it helped too. Slaughter had Hot in the Shade too. We talked about the the difference in attendance between Hot in the Shade and and Revenge, but Slaughter had a big hit single out at the time too, which. You know, I'm not trying to take away anything from Kiss on the Hot in the Shade tour because those Hot in the Shade tour, those Hot in the Shade shows are incredible. But you know, Slaughter did have a big hit out at the time too, and you know, if you're going to Slaughter appeared appealed to the female audience too, so I mean, it was easier for a guy to convince his girlfriend to go see to go see Slaughter and Kiss together. It was a little easier of a sell that you know we can go together and help you know put butts in the seats, so to speak. But you know, Kiss really was proud of the album. I mean, they played five songs off of Revenge on the arena tour with I Just Wanna, Unholy, Domino, Take It Off, and God Gave Rock and Roll to You. I mean, they were they were very proud of the album. It's not like, um, you know, they were only playing one or two songs off it like they like a lot of bands do now, not just Kiss or any band that goes out now, especially a classic rock band that goes out now, they're going to play one, maybe two songs off a new album. But they were very proud of it and, you know, um, promoted it as much as they could while they were playing those shows. Um, And that was the great thing about going back to all the recordings afterwards. Just, you know, not only did they add all that material from that album in, but they continued like the theme that they'd started with Hot in the Shade of really digging back into the catalog again. So, you know, the guys and gals who went to those shows were getting monstrous set lists. That, oh, yeah. just, that just ran the whole gamut. They, you know, gave the 70s a real good going over, which, you know, I, I look back and if, if there's one tour I could have attended, it would have been a revenge tour show, um, you know, since becoming a fan in 85, because it just balanced the 70s, the 80s and the new album all in one shot. And it's absolutely fantastic what they what they did and how they picked that set list. I, I mean, that'd be some good questions to ask maybe Eric Singer, you know. Yeah. They were already adding the '70s stuff back in. They turned that corner in '80 in '90. Sorry, um, but did he have any input into you know getting some of those obscure songs that had been performed since '76 back in? Yeah, and Eric, Eric always talks about how he's a big fan of the first three albums. And you do there's there's I'm looking at the first show of the Revenge Tour in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and you see Parasite, you see Strutter, Watching You, Firehouse. 100,000 Years, all these songs off of those first three records that Eric is always talks about how he's a, a huge, huge fan of those of those of those records. So I would think Eric, you know, injected a lot of, of information to the band about that. So um, I think he was very influential in that. What do you guys, what do you guys, what else do you guys think about the set list, though? Or, or the or the Statue of Liberty crumbling and the skull coming off and giving you the finger. What was your thoughts Everything on that? was cool, but the finger. I always thought they should have done it like this. Yeah. This would have worked so much better. I don't know why. Kind of. This is, you know, when, this when, when, really you all, when you all hold up your middle finger to your audience, you know, it, the, it just doesn't feel right. 
the extra finger was, you know, it cost $10,000 more to get the extra finger. So it was a budget thing. They were cheap. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that stage was, was good. I mean, it was, the Statue of Liberty yeah. is good. The American rock band in you know, New York, they originated out of New York, uh, makes yeah. complete sense to me. Um, Do you yeah. remember they had a, a different uh, plan um, prior to the Statue of Liberty, you know, with a car sticking out of the ground? Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an Armageddon yeah. type thing. Yeah, thing. Like yeah that's Neil in Williams history, isn't it? Like that. Like this, like an artistic sketch that's in history, I think. Yeah, that's all I've seen. Yeah. Right? I don't know if it was, if it went any longer than that. I think it just was a, an idea, and they didn't do anything with it. It was too expensive. But I guess they were going for something like you know Armageddon type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty popular at the time. But 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 one thing we haven't mentioned, we, we've talked about the album and so on, but there was one th- song uh, that wasn't included. And I know some people have that song, at least the instrumental track. Uh, you remember that one? If you, if you look like... I remember being a fan, and this was the only way to get information. You were... Oh, I remember uh, Strike Magazine. Yeah, yeah, this one. Those, you had, those were great. You had this one. This was... The text. This one was really good. What to happened that. to that guy, Ron? Something from Canada. I have he all my old some, strikes though. Yeah, he wrote some good. great stuff. That guy, and this one was Those great as well. Great. And then they had uh, this one. You should have liked. I guess you'd like this one, Lonnie. Yes. The power. And I have that. Might of yeah. Somewhere. And they they talk. Actually, the guy is in the studio. I think it's is it Dan Starr who is in the studio. Yeah, at least the, the reporter is in the studio, and they talk about them, how they rehearse and how they uh, record the tracks. And then they say, well, on the album there will be 12 tracks. One of them is, do you want to touch me now? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You know, with Paul Barbessarin and Dave the Snake. There you go. Yeah, I know he has it. Oh, you know he has it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second time I've heard a snippet of it. Okay. Yeah, but... Um, I'm going to edit that out as well, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. What's you know he had so, it. So that would be great if they did something with that, but it will never happen. You know, from, and, from that brief oh, snippet, it does not fit with the rest of the material. It doesn't. At all. Okay. It totally no. does not fit in. Obviously, okay. that doesn't have much of the lead work it doesn't have lyrics and that's as far as it got um mm-hmm. there's don't forget there's the Janny lane song as well that paul was writing have, is there a recording of that one they both have a, apparently they both have an incomplete one so whoever got right. Janny's uh estate probably has a cassette copy but who knows it wouldn't have been a studio quality piece if it was just you know a songwriting session i don't know wow. to be honest on that but on a side note, you have to say, what the hell is that guy, Dave the, Dave the Snake, thinking? They just fired their singer. They had a new one in Skid Row. He quit. Why don't he bring back Sebastian Bach? I, I, I don't understand. And Julian, don't say Sebastian. You've already dumped that. Open for guns like it's 1991. It'd be so freaking cool. Yeah, it would be so I've seen you have linked to the Guns N' Roses. Oh, I'm all that shit. Lonnie, and I'm all with you. What, with Guns you. N' Roses with a reformed yes. Skid Row? Oh. You know what? Yeah, Skid, Skid that, Row as, that, as, I, as I'm not, I'm not, It's like I'm Use not, Your Illusion Tour. Skid Row. Ooh. 
I'm, so I'm not going to make fun of Sebastian. Um, you've already said the name, so I don't need to now. Um, <laughs> thank you. But, you know, going off on a, on a tangent there, Skid Row. Talking reformed. really nice. It's cool. Yeah, come on. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes too much yeah. sense. I would actually go and see a Guns N' Roses Skid Row package. I have zero interest otherwise, and I'm not going to. Simple as that. I have no interest in the, the ticket prices uh, oh, for that reunion. I mean, it's not like it's Kiss. Come on, they had one good album. And then they had two half shitty albums. I'm sorry if you, if you took "Use Your Illusion" and took half the songs off each volume yeah. and put them together, then you've got a good one very very strong album. And then the rest could have been B-sides. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you enjoy that as a fan? If, if Kiss released two decent albums and you could like choose and pick from them, I would well, yeah, love. Then you can make a great. I agree. I, I love. I, I love it that they released two albums, but they didn't have anything more in in the tank after that. Yeah, they they gave they gave us everything to add, and they had yeah that was everything else in the tank because a lot of that stuff dated back. You know, I mean, a lot it, of those stuff they were playing like before Appetite came out and stuff like like Back yeah. Off Bitch and Don't Cry. They were playing before even Appetite. That, came. that was just typical '80s bands. You know, the, the weak link. I mean, look at another one, Cinderella. Everything up through Heartbreak Station and into Still Climbing, they had already demoed going back to '95, uh, '85. Pardon me. So mm. it was the same with Guns N' Roses. But sorry, that's a tangent. But Lonnie, who who should be the drummer, Lonnie? <sighs> Matt Storm should be the drummer, in my opinion, because I I mean, I get the Adler thing. Two drummers. See, that'd be cool too. I I just I don't think Adler could pull it off night in, night out. I think Storm's just so reliable. You know, he reminds me almost of an Eric Singer. He's just a very yeah. reliable type drummer that. But he's kind you know, of a hired gun type, and he and he know and he, you know he he, he meld melded well with with an unusual illusion. I think he did well with with Slash and Duff on Velvet Revolver. Also, um, I really like Matt Storm. So, and this is really interesting. Talking '92, there were in Sweden, yeah. in Sweden at least, there were two bands: Metallica and Guns N' Roses, and nothing else counted. And then they go and on tour together. Maybe then after, then oh. you you had the whole grunge thing going, but at at one maybe more ninety one, the Guns N' Roses and Metallica was it. If you said, "Oh, revenge," uh, what the fuck is that? <laughs> People didn't get it. People could appreciate. Well, this is a good song, Unholy, but what about you know the Black Album? So no yeah. one really cared. Oh, and. Going, getting back to Kiss a little bit, I always saw the Revenge look as a copying of of a Metallica type look. Mm. You know, Gene Simmons, James Hetfield, it's the same. I I always saw that they came out as a, I remember looking at it and said they look like Metallica, or they're trying to copy what Metallica was doing. You know, I, I thought they were trying to copy Motley Crue, Doctor Feelgood. Really? Because Motley, of course, had done this, a similar sort of thing. Girls, girls, yeah, girls. Yeah, Motley dropped all their makeup. And yeah, all that. girls, girls, girls is an analog with Hot in the Shade for me uh, visually. And in, in mm-hmm. both the bands are kind of in that glammed up, but more street glam. And then Revenge and Dr. Feelgood. And I think Dr. Feelgood came out in 91, didn't it? I think it was certainly before Revenge. So they were kind of following the crew still, which is all fair. No, G, G never looked as good as when he had the beard. You know, <laughs> that's his look. He should always have, have that beard. But this no, looks does look like an ex-rose beard. Thought, it's yeah, red. That doesn't work. I, I thought he. I thought Gene looked looked great with the goatee, and he looked he looked. Well, like you know, he King did. The, he, well, he did that little top knot again. 
you see it on the back cover yeah you know picture he's got the little top knot which at least goes back to oh yeah you know the 70s mm-hmm. era mm-hmm. yeah he looks mean he looks cool yeah i mean th- there's only so cool you can look in your 40s anyway so he- he's probably hit the maximum cool factor mm-hmm. for yeah it was, it was, it was a little it, was, it started to go downhill after that I, th- I think you're right julian i think uh that's the best he gene like topped out in 92 93 94 yeah he'd, he'd, he'd fully recovered from the b arthur effect yeah oh, gosh. And, and by that and by that point it was time to put the makeup back on he put it back on just in time yeah well once he got really ugly again on came the makeup so <laughs> sorry jade i love you <laughs> So, any final thoughts on Revenge? What about what about this? Give me your give me your top three songs on the album. Hmm. Think you guys can think about it. You guys think about yeah, it. I can't start. I can't start. Go ahead. Number one, Unholy. I hope everyone has that one in their top three. I, I can't, uh, Julian. You never know. But the rest of you, <laughs> Unholy, number one. Secondly, Thou Shalt Not. Whatever. Awesome song. Uh, and I also like the lyrics, which, by the way, doesn't. Um, when you look, when you listen to "God Gave Rock and Roll to You," that's how you you know "God Gave Rock and Roll" was written, you know, in another time and era. It doesn't mm-hmm. fit. Exactly. Uh, and third one. That's a bit harder, but I, I think I would say "God Gave Rock and Roll to You," even though it doesn't fit. It's a good song. I don't, I, I don't care for the message, you know, God didn't give me rock and roll, I found it myself. But it's a good song, you know. Uh, it's a really well well done song. Uh, and guitar, so from guitar solo to drums to the vocals and everything. But I don't like the message, but that's my third in, in third place. But I would rather see the other song that Julian has on the album than God gave rock and roll to <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just a clip everyone's heard before, so. Yeah. All right, my three then. Um, I'm going to, number one, and I'll go in order, kind of, Heart uh, of because for me it's it's got the rocking edge, it's the hard, it's the aggressive material, um, which, you know, is best illustrative of the album for me. Uh, number two, God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too, which I, I adore. I mean, it, it's not really so much the message. It's when I hear that song, I see the video and Eric Carr's final performance with the band. So I, I always, you know, whenever I hear it, I see Eric Carr. So, you know, regardless of not playing on it and, and you can hear him, you know, God bless him. It's a nice way for me to always have him in my mind when I hear it. Um, number three, every time I look at you, just again, it, We've talked about it so many times when Paul performs that on MTV Unplugged. It's just one of those moments in history. But on this album, the studio version, I always thought it was exquisite. It was just a a perfect power ballad. It's kind of like the height of Paul Stanley. Um, And and it's a good contrast. But, you know, there's a couple of other good songs on the album as well. But, you know, for me, that's pretty much it. I'm going to have to go um, with... Unholy is <clears throat> my number one there. Um, like um, Daniel, I'm going to go with Thou Shalt Not. And then the third one, I don't know, it could be a toss-up with a number of songs. Um, 
you know, from day to day, I may like one more than I like take it off a lot. Um, yeah. You know, I like Domino, and uh, you know, God gave Arkansas to you. I mean, they're all they're all good songs. I mean, this is a, again, this is a solid album. It's hard to pick top three, um, but definitely, you know, Unholy and Thou Shalt Not are my uh, I would say two top two top picks. Well, this is hard for me because it's like picking a favorite child. So I'm going to say Unholy is my first. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think Daniel's right. Thou shalt not. We'd be remiss if we didn't have Unholy in there. <laughs> it's all of us. Uh, I'm going to go Unholy. I'm going to go God Gave Rock and Roll to You also. Um, despite the fact that Daniel and I both agree it doesn't sound um, conducive with the rest of the album, it does. It's, you take it by itself, though, it still sound, it's still a great song by itself. Um, so I'm going to go that, and then I'm going to go, I think I'm going to echo Daniel, and I'm going to go Thou Shall Not, actually, um, and go another Gene song. Um, Gene really shows up strong on the album, and it was um, very refreshing to hear strong Gene tracks on an album that you hadn't gotten since Creatures of the Night. Yeah, that's a key. That is absolutely key. I mean, Gene was back in the game on this album. Um, as much as I may not be a fan of, you know, his, his songs overall, the quality was definitely there, and so was Ezrin's production. They finally sounded like a fantastic band again. That someone was producing them that knew what they were doing, producing. You know, mm-hmm. kicking kicking Gene or Paul out of the production booth was probably the best decision they made for this album. You know. Yeah. Uh, now, now that you talk about Ezrin for a second, yeah, um, he did con- contribute and. I think it was our last episode, or I don't know which episode, Julian, you were saying that he would not like Ezrin to produce the next record. Uh, but when I was listening to this a couple of day, days ago, if I would want him to produce a new Kiss record if he could make it sound like Revenge. Okay. I, don't want it, I don't want it to sound like Destroyer or The Elder um, now. Um, I would rather it sound like revenge with the current kiss lineup yeah my problem my problem on that you know and it kind of shows up on revenge as well is that he likes to replace people on the album so you've got you've got dick wagner on revenge i mean he plays solos yeah. on it you've got jimmy z on this album playing harmonica yeah you know and Take it off. you know if you bring in ezrin to produce an album now he's going to replace paul stanley <laughs> so, yeah. because well, remember, well, remember well. it's it's Bob Ezrin and anything for the album, you know, for the quality. Right. I so, see, I see your point. I see your point. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of whatever happened to Michael James Jackson, oh, two oh yeah, that would be a, another records. great. One. What happened after that? I don't know. No, uh, I don't know if he's even producing anymore. But having you talking about the musicians or musicians that haven't been. Uh, you know, lit, you know, they're not known yet because they were never put on the record themselves saying that they played an instrument on it. Background. Um, I was watching that movie, uh, that documentary, The Wrecking Crew. Mm. And I would recommend, if you haven't seen that, anybody uh, really check that out because there's a lot of great music from, definitely most of it is the 60s, uh, that this group of musicians played on Beach Boys, Miles Upon others. They yeah, actually you wouldn't played believe the music. who they played on. You know, yeah, it's, it's they, really they, shocking. This, these are huge hit songs, and uh, the Monkees, for instance. You know, uh, obviously, but uh, 
yeah, I would recommend that. And it just made me think of how Kiss had some of their, you know, uh, musicians that weren't, you know, where they're mm-hmm. hidden behind the scenes that played. It's like, well, it's, it's kind of a, it was a common thing, especially in the 60s, more so than later on. But I think Ezrin came from that maybe period of knowing, you know, getting the best musician to play to make the, the song as good as you could make it. Yeah, and he also had the attitude that if you weren't there right when he wanted to do something, well, he had someone he could. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. another great thing about Revenge is uh, for all the haters out there, Tommy Thayer's on the album, guys. Ha ha. There you go. <laughs> Good Tommy. But, but, but an, an important issue we haven't touched is we, we all, except Julian, agree that this is a great sounding album and you have a few <laughs> great songs on it. The show is a great sounding album. Great sounding. I'll give you that. But, but, and the show looks great. Why did it fail? You know, the album failed. The tour failed. Well, at least the American tour. The UK tour was successful. Uh, but And I never understood why they didn't come back to Europe. You know, the UK shows worked really well. They, they could have easily done a tour in, in Europe, Scandinavia, and, and, and played to, you know, decent crowds. Never happened. Well, you've already, uh, And you've in already America, said they why. just tanked. Yeah, you already said why. Metallica, Guns N' Roses... The, yeah. ba- the bands that oh, were in yeah. ascendancy. You've got Seattle starting to emerge. Mm-hmm. You've got KISS fans who, well, obviously were no longer fans. For an album that debuted at number six and then dropped like a rock, um, you didn't, we've said it as well, you know, and Ken kind of illustrated how many times did he see the videos that were made on MTV? Yeah. There just yeah. wasn't the exposure. It's another yeah. dinosaur band. Yeah, which which, which one of the band. which one of the dinosaur bands are doing well in this period? It's the one yeah. that sold their soul to Desmond Child and Jim Valance. You know, it's Aerosmith is in ascendancy for yeah, the for yeah. the for the elderly bands, and they're doing fantastically. And then you have Kiss hooking up with Faster Pussycat. I mean, and these second string bands for a tour. So there's not much appeal there, from my perspective, anyway. Um, Could they have done anything differently? Uh, I don't think I don't, so. I don't think, I don't so, think because so either. You you look at what was happening. Motley Crue was 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 kick, had kicked Vince Neil out, yeah. and was as good as good as that album is. A few years later, that tanked as well. Um, I don't think with the ascendance of grunge and with the popularity of Metallica that you know, and Kiss was seen as hair metal at the time. I mean, whether whether they were hair metal or not, you know, they were seen as hair metal. And hair metal and the big production show was dying in the U.S. But they were never hair metal. No, I'm not saying that they were. But they, a lot of it was seen as hair metal. And that genre was dying at the time. And I don't think there was anything Gene or Simmons or Paul Stanley or even, you know, Nikki Six with Motley Crue could, could do about it. It was and a nice so, effort, you have to say. It was a no, nice no. effort. They're both great but, albums. But it wasn't my, enough. Motley's and Kiss's album are both great albums, but yeah. I, I don't think there's anything that, that they could have done because of the resurgence so. that, that grunge had, and they were left to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, no, no. I mean, 
I'm just curious. What do you think about the grunge records? I mean, I kind of like Stone Temple Pilots. I saw they. Alice in Chains, I like a lot as well. Sure. I'm a Nirvana guy. They were kind of, you know, oh, it's grunge metal. I think it was was great metal, you know. Dirt by Alice in Chains, one of my favorite albums of all Mm -hmm. time. You know, you know, looking at Scott Vyland, Vyland, Vyland is Vyland. Yeah, what a great front man. Unfortunately, he passed away a, a few months ago. But but looking at that band, you have you seen that show when Stone Temple Pilots? Yeah, I see that. <laughs> Some of you have seen that show. Uh, the show where they dress up in Kiss makeup oh, yeah. and play. You guys, if you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and, and so like watch it. Great set with Stone Temple Pilots and the crowd. That's the way a rock and roll crowd is supposed to be. Fucking crazy. Yeah, well, no, we, no, so no mobile phones, cell phones. Talking about their, you know, they didn't do well in, in 92. It's all in cycles. I mean, they had the first yeah. wave and the makeup. And then the, the kids or the teenagers that were listening to them, they grew up. They went on to some other music. Kiss reinvented themselves, lick it up, the non-makeup era. They got new fans. They have teenagers at that time. You know, they listen to them for a number of years, and then they go on to something else, probably probably grunge or whatever. So then Kiss keeps having to reinvent themselves to try to gain more crowds and build up their, you know, uh, a following again uh, over and over. It was the right album at the wrong time. If they had had that album out maybe one year earlier. year or two earlier? Yeah, boy, that just, just one year. Because at this time, all I remember is Nirvana, Nirvana, Nirvana at the time this album's mm. out. And, you know, as much as you know, Nirvana is a divisive band, that's all I wanted to listen to. For me, from my music perspective, it was new shit. It was different stuff. So I was really into that at the time because it was something I hadn't heard and not been into. And unlike a lot of the Fairweather people who got into Nirvana and disappeared soon afterwards after that album, you know, I kind of stuck with them for the rest of their career. Um, just... I think the pro- the problem for me with many of the, the grunge bands were that they were so negative, I think. Uh, the message in the songs, the look, everything was kind of, you know, what Gene and Paul always says: getting on, 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 on stage in a t-shirt and jeans and playing. Well, they went crazy, but, but uh, they didn't look cool. I didn't like the message. I wanted something, you know, like I love it loud. I want to be the president. I didn't find that in the grunge era, so I never really took on. So I was I was a dinosaur when I was sixteen, listening to Damn Kiss it. and thinking, "Man, we we want to listen to music that makes us feel proud of ourselves. We're going to be someone." No, no, no. Let's go li- listen to uh, "I Wanna Rape You" or whatever the hell they sang about. <laughs> they wanna rape. They rape me. It was rape. Rape me. me. Yeah. Mm, good luck with that one. I agree. Though I was. I was. I was into the, the stuff that was not popular at the same age, too, Daniel, but I didn't get Were it. Were you I like me? I tried to convince my... I like Stone Temple Pilots, and I yeah, like... I like them. I you know, them. and I like Alice in Change, but I didn't really get head-on into the revenge... into the uh, the grunge thing, so... Were you like me? You tried to convince your friends. I remember bringing a friend back home, showing him the, the exposed video... Mm-hmm. And 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 you know, fast forward to the Paul Stanley um, workout, thinking this is look how funny this is, and he just looked at me. Embarrassing. What the hell? Are, what, 
did you spend all the time to show me this? And I like, uh, well, yes, cool. play? Yeah, this is cool. <laughs> I, I, I tried to find any way of, of uh, convincing my friends that Kiss was cool. And this was the shit. But I, I failed miserably, unfortunately. <laughs> I shouldn't have showed that video in hindsight. <laughs> Wasn't a good pick. Well, for everyone out there listening, what are your thoughts on Revenge? Um, what are your three favorite tracks? What are your memories from Revenge? Did you see one of the club shows? Did you see one of the arena shows? Why do you think Revenge era, the Revenge era didn't last? Why the tour tanked? Why the album dropped like a rock? Um, give us your thoughts. Give us your perspective. Um, leave some thoughts on the message board on the Kiss FAQ. Leave thoughts on YouTube. Um, of course, you can watch the show on YouTube. Download and subscribe to the show via iTunes and people are getting ready for lunch around here. And you guys can stream the show on Spreaker. Um, but give us your feedback and leave us a review or rating on iTunes too. I'd love to get some more reviews on iTunes as well. So thank you all for listening this week to the Kiss FAQ podcast. I hope you stuck around and listened to the whole thing because um, I was really looking forward to this episode, obviously, for many reasons. So for Ken, for Daniel for Julian. I am Lonnie Weissar, SCL Kiss on Kiss Epic. Message board. You stay classy, Kiss Army. It's the extended rap. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. We hope to see you again.